0: Hello and welcome to the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast with me Clive Barber and my good mate Noel Tom. For the days when you can't ride your bike there's always the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. But yeah relax Adam you've got your serious face on. You know, when you did that video with Greg, you were like, fucking hell, he seems really really normal and sensible. And then we meet this fucking buffoon who's
1: hilarious. (laughs) I want hilarious buffoon. Cameras and recordings that do it.
0: Just be yourself, mate. That's funny enough. We've been trying to get this guy on our podcast for ages now, and we've ground him down come and be on it is our friend and riding partner adam mitchinson from off of rally raid and we're really glad to have him we've got lots of questions for him
2: do you feel like we don't know a lot about him we really don't know a lot about him do we really no i don't know not really his job's still a little bit of a mystery i think
0: he takes his job very much for granted whereas i think a lot of people will be quite interested to hear how rally raid operates what did you do today
1: today I built part of a website this morning. I then went through all of our packaging costs for the previous year and looked at ways to reduce our packaging costs and make packaging more efficient. I think I might have got this wrong. It's fucking boring. <laughs> <And then laughs> I fiddled around doing some CAD drawings for some upcoming products and ideas. You're going to tell us what they are? um yeah i will actually because they're pretty close there's a set of cb500x footrests and well they are semi universal so they fit a couple of bikes that i've been working on um and i'm quite happy with how they've come out aesthetically so we're just doing the final tests on those in terms of riding and now just starting to price it up and then we're working on some abs switches for the new hondas as well the crfs no they've got ABS the switch on already mine's got yeah. one on yeah yeah, no, it's for the CBXs. so uh, we're just working on nice little billet ABS switch holder and looking at some different ways that we can, because we already have one that we used to make, so just looking at some different ways we can kind of polish that up and make it a bit nicer.
2: You see, already, I just thought you worked on bikes all day, every day.
1: Sometimes sometimes i mean last week was pretty heavy in that sense just had two customer builds into yamaha t7s in for suspension and then the rest of the days i was pretty much spannering on the crf and the cbx
2: which part of it do you enjoy the most then the actual spannering
1: Uh, i think it depends what i'm doing at the time to be honest it's nice to have i like doing the suspension jobs and stuff like that when you get customers in and they leave really happy and it's like a nice little bit of teamwork. Like, I had a guy come down on Friday and he brought all his kit with him, and we got to set it all up for him exactly how he's going to wear on his trip, make sure his preload and everything was bang on because he brought all his kit, sort of being a bit more prepared. So we could get some nicer detail in terms of the sort of how we're setting it up for him.
2: And yeah, is it so- generally, is it, sorry, is it generally new bikes that come to you then?
1: Mm.
2: They always seem to be look brand new.
1: Yeah, I would say, well, obviously, our bikes, when we get them in, new because we get them from new and develop on them but um the t7s most of those are used i would say but not with mega mileage or anything like that but there's a lot of new g310 gs's just because they're quite a low price point new and the cbx's are generally used as well to be honest a couple of years on those there's usually quite a lot of mileage on them just because the nature of that bike
0: so when you're developing products for a new bike I've always wondered this. Do you always go and buy the bike to work on?
1: Yes. Yeah, we have to be sort of the first in line to make sure. I mean, a lot of people, when a new bike comes out, they wonder why there's not a lot on the market for it yet. And that's because most people like us, we do have to just be in line like every other punter sort of thing. We're just another customer. But yeah, generally we get hooked up with Moto Den from Dalston Junction in London. So pretty much we're friends of ours and they know what we like. In terms of what we've been using and what we work on so they generally try and get us within the first couple of bikes coming into the uk that's with the hondas especially that's been quite nice in that sense and what how will you decide which bike to concentrate on in terms of outside of our current models or in when you say that do you mean
2: well if there's lots of adventure bikes coming out what do you which how do you sort of decide which one to pick out and and start making parts for to be you honest just want
1: the, one, the ones we want to use really the ones that we've like the the cbx everything like that was built off what we wanted to do with it and same with the t7 like it, it that was an interesting bike and there was definitely an element of we knew that bike was going to be big but at the same time we wanted one and we wanted to use one because it seems like a good platform we you don't know there's a lot of bikes that you should try not every bike is for everyone but you've got to go through them and try them and it's ones that sort of resonate with us and we want to work on them further or we see something that could be progressed into something a bit more like the 310 and do
2: you feel like you've ever been caught out that you've sort of missed a bike that has done a lot better than you thought it would
1: um the ktm 690 was always a bit of a sore point we had a really really outstanding start with that bike we were some of the first to start making parts for it and that's kind of how rally came to be but um when it was two thousand and eighteen I think and they were meant to be stopping the KTM six ninety and that's sort of what some contacts within KTM had told us that they were going to be stopping the six ninety. So we kind of cooled off on that and then they followed through into twenty nineteen with a new model and carried it on sort of thing and then the seven oh one came out and it was a bit of a it kind of um threw us off a little bit if you know what I mean because we we were expecting that bike not to come out with a new model. So we didn't go ahead and make auxiliary tanks for it which kind of stopped at the 2018 year a lot of our products for the 690 unfortunately stopped at that 2018 mark just because of the information we'd been i'm not sure if it was leaked or given but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, uh, the 690 carried on, which is a good thing because it's a great bike. But you're not privy to any information that, that nobody else has? I wouldn't say so, particularly no. There's, you get whispers and stuff like that, but it's no different than you mate down the pub or anything like that that works for a bike brand. or I wouldn't say there's anything that's really come out. In the-,
0: the other side of that, have you ever bought a bike? with a view to making parts for it and gone nah let's not do it
1: yes <laughs> the ktm 390 it was one of those examples to be honest we had it on test from ktm and we did a magazine piece with rust magazine riding it we were initially quite excited about it before release and everything like that and we knew it wasn't going to be anything near an EXC in that sense but it did really just come down to feeling like a duke to be honest and you could like that's one thing they always say about the 310 versus the 390 you could put the same kit from the 310 on the 390 and it would make it better but it, that percentage of increase in enjoyment and all the positives wouldn't be as big as it is on say the 310 you're taking something that was naff and you get something that's great whereas you put the same kit on it you're taking something that's okay and it ends up being okay still sort of thing you love your 310 don't you i really do yeah yeah and i get to I get quite defensive about it as well. I know that, but yeah, you don't I can... see many of them out trail riding, do you? No. I mean, he... no. I mean, BMW don't push them really. They're they're sort of brushed aside by a lot of people as a you sort of buy it for a new rider and they move on from it within the first two years. What is it you really like about it? The engine, to be honest. Yeah, it's got a cracking little engine in it. Like compared to like the three hundred, the CRS it absolutely goes. It's got like a very expressive sort of. High revving engine, which is quite fun. The nice power output in the top end. It's good on the road. It's better than sort of other trail bikes in that three hundred area on the road as well. Uh, and you can just thrash it, to be honest, because it's it's an Indian built bike, not it's not a sort of official BMW build in that sense. Been built with it's been designed with the idea to be built fairly simply and for straightforward. And that goes hand in hand with working on it. If you know what I mean, it's just so easy to work on. Do you think a lot of them have been? fully converted yeah we've done quite a quite a i wouldn't be able to i mean i could probably get their numbers but yeah there's a there's a hundred plus sort of rally raid three tens out there easily in terms of the suspension kits and everything like that i mean we're up to i think we're in the 200s with the wheels maybe the 250s possibly more than that to be honest i'd have to have have a look at the numbers but yeah there's a it's they're, they're picking up pace as well which is surprising a lot of people on the internet would say that the 390 would absolutely kill the 310 off but it's just just not true
0: so what next what's next are you doing things bearing in mind the bike i've just taken delivery off today what are you going to be doing for the uh, crf 300 l and rally
1: well we, we haven't got a rally at the moment we are focused on a borrow mine it would be nice if you didn't live so far away yeah but the the l is our sort of priority at the moment we feel like getting the l model for most trail riders is going to be the sort of the, the option in terms of value and just less plastic on it, to be honest, compared to the Rally. I would have got an L if I could. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you save yourself a grand and you get the, pretty much the same bike out of it. But we're really just focusing on the, the biggest things that we specialize in, which is suspension, to be honest. The bike's just come back from Tractive, and uh, that's that's had a, a lot of work done. Completely new shock in it, and we've got completely new fork internals. We've gone up to a 46mm shock, and it really does feel, as saying into my little video the other day when i was out on it's very cliche to say it feels like a different bike but that is a a huge change compared to some of the changes you get on other bikes by putting aftermarket suspension that it really is a a massive change in terms of the sag is it a difficult thing to price competitively A, a shock yes you've got the people like yss out there that they are the cheapest to be honest that money and that price always relates to some amount of niche or quality there's always three levels of everything when you buy something isn't there you can get your your best bang for buck or you can get your best performance so it kind of comes down to that to be honest why should i buy attractive one from you over k-tech or somebody like that It is the only 46 mil shock in a CRF at the moment, which is you've got more oil in there, so it's longer service times. You've got better control over the oil because there's more of it, so you're pretty much ending up with a more responsive, more customizable and well-tuned shock out of it. How unusable do you think it is in stock form? I don't think any bike is particularly unusable in stock form in that sense. The sag on it was pretty horrendous. Obviously, I'm fairly large. I'm just over 100 kilos And the bike was riding along like a chopper, you know. And it (laughs) it really I you saw that video I put in WhatsApp where I was just pogo and getting the back end to bounce, and you can't do that at all now. That damping, that lack of damping, has all been sorted out.
2: So no matter how much it's tensioned
1: up, it'll always do that. The, the standard stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's just that. Yeah, that's just lack of that's just lack of damping, to be honest. Mm.
0: And presumably, if you put a strong, uh, a a fatter spring on it, you, you just pogo even more, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you can't change that. There's no adjustment to that rebound damping. So that stronger spring is just going to kick back even harder, to be honest. And it's not really changing anything, although it's pushing against your heavier weight. Obviously, you're going to be heavier if you put a heavier spring on it. But in terms of how it makes the bike react, it's just a lot more force kicking back up at you. There's no way around that, to be honest. It is, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, it's a five grand bike, and that's that's part of it, isn't it? I think for for most people, beginner trail riders, all the way up to sort of fairly happily to bumble along trail riders, it's absolutely fine if you if you're just taking it easy or if you're not pushing it in any way but that moment when you take it past that yeah. with any sort of experience or luggage on it and stuff like that it does become fairly hard to ride in that sense i mean especially for new riders i was surprised how much the front end pogo's back at you it's almost it would be almost off-putting for a lot of new riders to have that sort of sensation because it's not damping that rebound properly it really it really does sometimes when you hit a rock or something almost pogo you off the other way which is quite unusual it's a, quite a large deflection but if you're just cruising along and pootling around on the off-road stuff with your feet down sort of thing is never going to have any issues with that sort of plushness
0: so adam you've told us previously you were some kind of
2: junior enduro champion
1: (laughs) no not quite there's not there's no gold on my mantelpiece
2: how old were you when you first rode a motorcycle
1: i would say between six and seven i think the pw50 little Yamaha. Maybe even a bit younger. We started off on a quad when I was sort of late toddler age. And then, yeah, I'd say between five and seven. Was it something you wanted to do or was it something that your dad got you to do or how did it happen? It's obviously something that my dad wanted me to do because I've been doing it. I can't remember being five or six or seven, to be honest. So I've ridden as long as I can remember, really. But you 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 remember enjoying it from the word go. Oh nice. yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's always been something very enjoyable. Or even if it wasn't a motorbike, it was a farm quad or something like that. But yeah, definitely, everyone likes mud and mud and engines, don't they? But
2: and then yeah. at what age were you racing for the first time?
1: I think I did my very first motocross race. They had to ask to let me in because I was very young and I was on a. XR seventy. I was probably eight, I think, and they, I was a little XR seventy. My dad actually had to take the shock out of it and put a solid rear end in it so I could get my leg over it. <laughs> <laughs> so it pretty much had no suspension. But yeah, I remember that. I remember that as well. That was one. Did you win? No, no, no. no. I think I'm last. But yeah, I think it was in the eleven to thirteen year old sort. I remember they had to ask, and it was yeah, it was quite a cool. Quite a Did cool you take experience. to
2: it? Were you, were you good at it
1: from the get go? Again, I don't really remember a lot of being that young, to be honest. I always remember my brother to be a better rider, or in terms of when we got older. Apparently, before that, had a, a bit more in terms of aggression and getting into it sort of thing. But and then when I was sort of 13, 14, I had a bit of a nasty crash, and that set me back a couple of years in terms of confidence and stuff like that. It took me a while to want to ride again. Was that a crash um, during a race? No, that was just practicing at a friend's motocross track. Unfortunately, his little sister came out on a quad and just pulled into the track. And uh, I kind of high sided the bike trying to avoid her. And I was wearing an open, fel- open face helmet and it just caved my teeth and mouth in and stuff. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, who'd be stupid enough to wear
2: an open face helmet?
1: I know. In, I mean, in, a,
2: mo- in a motocross race. Yes. Were,
1: exactly. yeah. <laughs> no, we were just uh, uh, in a field at a uh-huh. private motocross track. And yeah, I just tried to stop too quick on the grass and it just kind of high sided me and the bar went uh-huh. through the. Yeah. Was that a visit to the hospital? Was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was multiple visits for quite a yeah. long time. Yeah.
2: And you say your brother was better. Was that, is your brother, was he more competitive than you? Or was he just more reckless? Or was he just generally, um, generally a better rider?
1: He was a, a lot better. I think he was a lot better trials rider than I was. And obviously doing Enduros and Extreme Enduros and stuff. That's sort of where it shines through. His attitude was probably not as good in terms of keeping it together. Yeah. He used to throw his toys out the pram and stuff sometimes when we were racing, but it does get that sort of heated sometimes. But yeah, no, he's, he's just a good riding them a lot more at the time and sort of, he was a lot more sort of uh, out on the bikes, the push bikes, dirt jump bikes and stuff, a lot more than I was sort of thing. Obviously, being older, he was sort of leading the way. But yeah, no, as we got older, he kind of drifted off into other stuff and it's still a good ride now, obviously, but yeah. he's uh, just, too busy with work and stuff really
0: so where did you you went from being a six and an eight year old on tiny bikes to being uh riding in the british enduro championship
1: that me and my brother started doing the british enduro rounds when we were it was 18 and 19 which is sort of the youngest you can enter them at it, and then so it's uh something that if you're if you're not sponsored by the age of 22 or something like that you or age of 20 you, you end up Becoming sort of bogged down by money, to be honest, it's a pretty expensive, expensive thing. But so, yeah. did you stop at the age of twenty-two then? Just before that, I would say I'd say probably about twenty is when it had to take a back burner in sense. In that sense, so both being my brother, we're obviously very lucky to be supported to do the British Enduro Championships and stuff like that, and a lot of the fast, steady rounds or the UK. GB Sprint Championship, which is a really good little set of sort of very short, unusual enduros that they ran. But yeah, once, once you start working and all that sort of stuff, it, it is quite hard to keep keep that one month a race, one race a month thing going, to be honest. And whether that's time or money or, I mean, going, going down the, discovering the pub and things like that, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. It it does all happen doesn't it did you race outside of the uk or was it all you generally races? no we're all within the uk yeah it's um we used to just get picked up from school on a friday sort of thing and go down to a I used to run a lot of in, evening enduros in the summers and stuff like that and that was all nice to do in the week time and you get to just bunk off school sort of thing and go go down and race and that was all pretty fun would you like to race now yes yeah yeah i'm desperate to to be honest it's <laughs> well, why don't you again just buying and enduro bike again funding it all and it becomes very expensive you know it's just, it's, just, it's like one of the most well it's not one of the most expensive hobbies it depends how often you crash but you know you you're rebuilding the bike so often you, all the tires and everything like that and unfortunately if you're not fast enough to get some sponsors behind you to help with that sort of stuff it just has to be a small time hobby you know it's, you, you can't expect to be at sort of the high level of it without having some sort of support and training every week and everything like that you do really have to be stuck into it
2: well as i we said does it not really happen at sort of a, a club level that you could get you fit it does it yeah it does but
1: that. oh no I, I do enjoy club enduros and everything like that it's just um you know when you get into something and you just want to completely hyper focus on it sort of thing like so if you, same with like even just other hobbies like sim racing and stuff like that you get into it and you get your teeth into it and then you just want to be really you just want to improve and improve and improve and It sort of gets sucks you in, sort of thing.
2: Do any of these bikes you had as kids still exist? Do you still have any?
1: No, 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 they all got moved on. I did see one a while ago, TTR 125, that used to do Dawn Till Dusk and stuff like that on. That was a very, I was very fond of that bike back then. And that went to a friend of family and then it came back a couple of years ago just to have a service sort of thing, I think. I saw it in the workshop, but no, generally they've all moved on.
0: So did you ever fancy having a crack at the Dakar? Dream scenario, somebody gives you a bike and a budget and says, go and ride the Dakar, do you think you
1: would? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if someone's going to fund it, yeah. Who wouldn't, to be honest? I wouldn't. <laughs> no, no I wouldn't. He'd just do it at his own pace. He'd really want to stop for tuna <laughs> and rice. spent eight months doing it. Oh, this
0: the minty you've got to try this Minty. tea. It's incredible. Oh.
1: Oh no! It's, no, no. it's not in Morocco anymore, <laughs> is it? No, yeah, I think it's quite quite the whole Dakar dreams not cliche but yeah it's it's almost too obvious but i still think it's one of those things that most people from any sort of competitive or off-road based riding would really want to have a crack at just to say they've had a crack at it, you know but like you say then get you, you get the addiction to it where people don't finish one year they remortgage their house and they spend the next five years trying to get finished whether that's through their own riding or mechanicals and stuff like that it is very easy to ruin your life trying to get to dakar What is your sort of background in engineering then? Um, What qualifies you to do what you do? self-taught to be honest I studied I didn't study engineering I could do CAD drawing from a young age that was something I just kind of picked up along with Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff like that so that's always been there like 3D modelling whether it was for motorcycle stuff it wasn't really at that time it was more for sort of gaming and design stuff but yeah just really self-taught to be honest sitting down and knuckling knuckling down with software I've always liked learning software and that's sort of where that starts like drawing something is a bit of a challenge you know and you, like, once you complete it and you've worked it all out and done it, it's quite a quite a rewarding thing in that sense. So have you worked anywhere else outside of Rally Raid? Yeah, so I used to do uh, graphic design for a retail company and that's what I studied, so that's what I studied for and what to do. And that was an office-based role, sort of managing websites and their designs and photography and stuff like that. But I have to say I would take take Rally Raid any day of the week because sitting in an office, to be honest. What kind of riding do you do now then? Not I'm not a great deal in, in very short-term history to be honest like we're all quite lucky to get our trips away in the summer and <laughs> where we do the tech or something like that but gen- generally a lot of the riding i'm doing at the moment is just for work to be honest just do testing you products yeah do you have a driving license for a motorcycle yes
2: yeah but do you don't have a car license no why uh, why why not life behind bars it's <laughs> amazing you've got away with it for so long
1: yeah yeah it does come up in conversation when did, you,
2: when did you last drive a car? Well, like on the road yeah. legally with air plates.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What did you last to drive a car legally? <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, probably a couple of years ago, to be honest. Yeah. And does it not appeal to you yeah. at all? Um, I don't. I know. I honestly don't like being in cars that much, to be honest. Yeah. It's one of the necessities. Yeah. You have to do it at some point And I'm um, sort of that's in, in the works at the moment for spring. But um, yeah, I didn't shy away I quite enjoy riding in all weathers all year sort of thing it does get frustrating when you've had a week of shit weather but it never really grinds on you that much because it's nice being on your bike even those winter mornings you know when it's all foggy and icy and stuff it's always really nice environment to be in you're very connected but it's obviously never been a massive inconvenience to you not to drive I mean it's probably not an inconvenience to me maybe to those around me (laughs) so getting back to rally raid why did your dad start rally raid to be honest, I think he brought a CNC machine for his original, so his his OG company, which does plastic mouldings, and that was in the 2007 sort of when all that happened. Um, and work, a lot of work went over to Asia and everything like that. So there was a bit of a quiet spell, and he was prepping to do. I think it was the Tuareg Rally. So we'd been using KTM EXCs. For sort of long distance racing and stuff like that before, and the KTM 690 came out in 2008, and it kind of just coincided with that. To be honest, so he'd, he'd been making his own parts just to fill time, learn how to use the machine because he's a manual machinist historically. So he's pretty much teaching himself CAD, which is quite impressive for how computer literary is in so many other ways with so many other softwares. But with with the CAD, he's very switched on and spent a lot of time teaching himself started off word of mouth, to be honest, just sort of supplying a very small group of friends. People would go to rallies and see it at the rallies and want one. And then, yeah, I guess that's just it's just snowballs from there, really.
0: So he just started off as a, a hobby, making stuff for himself, which which grew from there.
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely a hobby shed well workshop sort of uh ordeal for a couple of years you know before that demand sort of reared its head and said we want more of it sort of thing but very little was done in the early days to sort of advertise it or anything like that it really was just people used to turn up at a rally with a big rally box full of stuff and it would all, all be gone by the end of it sort of thing he was into rallies and enduros was he or just rallies so a bit of everything. the Last enduro that we rode together, it was one of the extreme events done by Enduroland, and it was a pretty, pretty gnarly sort of typical extreme enduro with the rock piles and everything like that. And that was when he was fifty-eight. So, oh, <laughs> and he did, he did unfortunately come a cropper and knock himself silly oh, yeah. oh, during it. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, I think he he really got into the rally sort of stuff when he was sort of mid 40s i think his first ever one was in tunisia and he just did it on the xc sort of thing got hooked on the whole road navigation and obviously the the landscape you're doing it in and then just kept going back kept making modifications to the bikes it started off with like a 525 and then brought it out to a 570 to try and make it better in the sand and everything and yeah really just in terms of what changes were happening it was it was very much hobby stuff at that point but like I say he's got his engineering background and everything like that and it will just sort of comes together in the parts that you want to make for yourself and that, that's really how you end up with something you just want it can't find it so you make it and then other people want it as well does
2: the molding thing is that still that's still happening
1: yeah 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 and then then it's nice because they supply us with stuff as well. It's very nice to be able to mass produce something like a uh, out of plastic. Obviously, we don't use that much plastic on all our hard parts and stuff, but even little things like side stand pucks and that to have the tooling and machinery there to mass produce something is lovely.
2: Well, this is what always confuses me. When you say they supply us, is the business sort of split into two
1: parts now? Yes. So, yeah, two businesses. That, yeah. yeah, We share a premises, but yeah, just even mass producing small plastic parts, it would just be such a hassle trying to do that without them there sort of thing. And they were definitely it was their equipment that Rally Raid was started on. To be honest, so it's we kind of support each other in in that sense historically, I guess.
0: And you you seem to support a couple of riders. There's the connection with Jenny, obviously for the the CB500, didn't you? and her used to race together.
1: That was the a long time ago that they met on a rally. Again, I think that was one of the Moroccan rallies or something like that they initially met and then they went and did sort of the Baha together and all that sort of stuff. Afterwards, that was quite far down the line on one of our 690s. But yeah, Jenny was really one of the catalyst movements for starting the whole CB500X project, really. She really pushed John about it and sort of blinkered in, in into taking a longer look at it and then... That was something that was massive for us in in terms of the sort of steps that we took to become what we are now. Sort of thing. That CB 500X is like a real cornerstone of our development and sort of history. Now it looked great, didn't it? When I first saw that bike, I remember just
2: taking a screenshot of a photograph of it. It was a photo. It was like a Greg style picture of the bike parked across a road. I remember just thinking, "That's got to try and get my hands on one of those one day."
0: I saw that as well. I thought that bike's going to get run
2: over in a minute. <laughs> I don't remember that photo, but I saw a picture of one the other day, and it looked. I had to take a second look at it. Really, it looked. It looked a lot lighter and slimmer. And I think it was because it was just really high. It just looked really raised.
1: I oh, was at the one that was on the side of like a mountain. In it the was. Facebook group.
2: I think it was silverish.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. it has got the level two suspension. It, yeah, it, it, looked, it does make it looked, a of difference to how yeah. they look. It looked fantastic. I just, for a second, I just thought, oh, is that
2: some kind of new Africa twin? But it was just because it was just that bit higher.
1: That's always something that it's been sort of discussed about. It's like having a little 500cc Africa twin. And that's one of the benefits. It's like a little short wheelbase. Mm. Do it all Jeep of the bike world. You know, it's a cracking little thing.
2: Well, there was just a, a standard CB 500 parked next to an Africa Twin in the Honda dealership today, and you had to sort of take a second glance at them really to look. They did look obviously; they looked related, but they looked very similar, parked upon centre stands.
0: And you've also been doing something fairly exciting with uh, an Italian rider and the T7, haven't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. was that a secret? I'm not sure what that is now. I'm not sure whether that, that was that's. Officially out in the open it, through, well, Manuel Lucchesi from Revelex, and he's also a, sort of his own own brand in Italy. Builds a lot of custom bikes, a really sort of special one-off T7s that use our suspension. And he also deals with the Yamaha Dakar teams and stuff like that. Just through sort of mutual connections and everything, the that new Yamaha T700 Rally World Raid prototype, sorry, it, it is running one of our rear shocks in it that, that was... Sort of, Manuel was the middleman there and did the speaking between us and us and uh, the Yamaha team. I think that that's on both bikes. So there's two of those bikes. So yeah, Poltero is, is riding one of them. Mm-hmm. that has got our stuff in, which is obviously very, very nice. But I'm not sure. I'm just not sure if we're allowed to discuss it or not. <laughs> it's never it's never been cleared up if it's a discussable thing. Right. Because you've posted about it, haven't you? Yeah, well, no, we didn't post about it. We said, we wonder what shock they're running in it. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it was just an, an interesting <laughs> suspension. But no, yeah, things like that are very, very exciting.
0: Am I allowed to leave this in then?
1: I guess so. Yeah, find out.
0: I'll let you listen back to it.
1: After all the all the hype about pole towers and the T seven and stuff, it's a massive pat on the back to have that sort of confirmation of what we're doing. To be honest, because there's a lot of. Op- Options out there but just to know that like you say people like manuel and the yamaha team are taking note of that it's it's for such a small team of what who we are and what we what we've come from and how we operate sort of thing it's it's huge you know for us at least so what's next then for riley road oh we're going to be busy with the new cb500x for a little while and then we've got to kind of look 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 forward. I want to clear up some of the 690 parts and sort of update those. We were trying to work in a bit more of a modern way in terms of marketing and stuff like that, that we talk to more people. We try and get out to all the shows a bit more. We do more sort of YouTube content and everything like that, I guess until something pops up on our radar you we're know, refining what we're doing going back and improving things and stuff like that and just riding to be honest because you it it's it's easy to get caught up in not riding and then you're missing out on decent bits of information and experiences and stuff like that so there's nothing that's been really flagged up for us necessarily in in the next year in terms of releases i'm not sure we're going to see any big releases from any manufacturers in the next couple of years i think the the 390 will stay as it is for quite a long time and that's the same with the crf they've only just released it honda don't change things unless it's every sort of three or four years normally can't imagine a lot in terms of brand new bikes that that we'll be able to share with anyone in the next sort of 12 to 18 months really. For those of us that
0: have the new CRF, can we expect to see more parts apart from just the suspension? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, there's there's a range of hard parts. I'd like to say, unfortunately, the bike's been over attractive for quite a while while we get our priority down. But yeah, there's engine guards, rear racks. We're doing fat bar risers at the moment, running some prototypes of those. And there's quite a few different options out there. So we're just trying to make sure that everything we bring to the table is unique and it offers something that has a genuine use, if you know what I mean. You can just go on to the 24MX and get a set of 40 quid fat bar risers from Rental or anything like that, you know. But you've got to try and find those uses that you want out of the bike and hope that those uses and needs resonate with other people. For just little niggly things, really, like mountain GPS is having the bike set up how you want it for your height and sort of. Obviously, it's not set up for a European rider really out of the box, is it? No, it's quite small. Really comes with bonding with the bike, which I've still got a bit of work to do with a 300, really. Um, When
2: when you finally make a part that I need, will you name it after me? (laughs) Yes, sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then that's a yeah. That's another point. Just backdating it. The rally raid twat. <laughs> I, <laughs> the rally raid mug. I was I was quite surprised how many people the 250s have asked for some of like the some of the products we're developing to be backdated. Yeah, so I just thought there was such a plethora of stuff out there already. To be honest, that there wouldn't be anyone looking for anything new. That seems like the, the yeah the 250 community is very much alive and kicking in that sense.
2: What bike are you taking to Spain in the spring? <laughs> I will probably take the
1: BMW G310 GS. Again? Yes.
2: You're not going to be the only one on the same
1: bike. No. That's because I like my bike. <laughs> <laughs> Loyal. Loyal person. Well, yeah, I just. I, the plan was to take the CRF. Everyone's going to be on a CRF, and I think it would be quite fun to go on the.
0: No, I think there's, there's only going to be three CRFs two 690s and the 310.
1: I feel obliged to take the 310 and show, show it. It would be boring yeah. if we were all on 300s, wouldn't it? It would It'd be very slow as well. It would be very, very, <laughs> very slow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Budget weren't an issue. What motorcycles did you have in the Adam Mitchinson garage?
1: Multiple motorcycles, is this obviously? Um, God, do you own a motorcycle now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still own three of my own ones. Yeah, one so CG- of your own three. A Honda Grom, obviously. Yeah. a CG one two five that's been part transformed into an excellent trail bike and a <laughs> cb500f the road version of the i so i've somehow grew a honda little honda family without realizing what made you get the grom i just just the idea that it was going to be like a pit bike that was road legal to be honest it, it didn't quite work out like that it wasn't as light or as cheap or as sturdy as a pit bike I thought it was going to be but yeah no, I absolutely love it
0: Can I bring you back to the original question because you just mentioned a CG125 and a fucking Grom, they're in nobody's <laughs> dream well, garage.
1: Unfortunately I would still have a Grom that is uh, okay. It's and, your choice.
0: You get that in the Bible.
1: <laughs> um, I think I'd have to have something for trail riding and sort of off road. If money was no object, you'd get a factory Dakar bike, wouldn't you? And just ride that around on the trails, just for yeah. You just would. For shits and Noel's shaking his head at
0: that. <laughs> when I picked my Honda up today, Noel offered to come and help me and bring his trailer and bring it all the way home for me. And I said to him on the way, "You wouldn't have done this if
1: it was a KTM, would you?" And he looked at me and went, "No." no i think it'd have to just just because it would it would be some sort of factory bike just one just for occasional usage sort of thing a free ride ktm free ride e would be something that because they're so expensive for what they are but they seem like such a fun object and i know it's not a bank breaking bike but i think it's something that's it's cost to what it's it's value to what it is worth isn't in line at the moment same with a lot of e-bikes but i think if you had the money there it'd be really nice just to trial the overly expensive e-bikes out to be honest
2: how much is that ktm bike
1: i think they're about 12 and a half like 11 and a half it is which is a lot for essentially a electric 250cc bike, isn't it? But Have you ridden one ever? Yes. Yeah, I've ridden one of the off-road ones, and it was really fun. But I'd like the, the super motor version, which I think they've actually stopped selling now. But they did a really cool super motor version that they had uh, Julian Dupont. The French Charles rider do like a big Expo one, just like a little remote control car version of a bike, to be honest. But yeah, nothing nothing too crazy. I'd probably get something like, like for a road. I quite like road riding recently. Ooh, yeah,
2: it'd be ideal for you, that, wouldn't
1: it? You'd mm. quite easily live with one of those. Yeah, and then i just have like a some sort of ridiculous sports bike, like an S1100RR or something like that, just to go out on a Sunday and then come back and get back on the Grom or something.
2: <laughs> do you think we should get Groms?
1: I think everyone should at some point yeah I really do you can't put it into words you can't bottle it but yeah everyone should would you like to travel on it yeah yeah it would it would be fun there's I've seen a lot of friends on Instagram and stuff that have got them or people that have done sort of across Morocco and things like that and it would be just because once you get past the point of it not being suitable it becomes exponentially more fun sort of thing
2: but what will it happily cruise at?
1: 50 (laughs) with me on it yeah 50 50 it it says it hits like 68 downhill but i don't believe that on a honda speedo that's like 50 miles an hour really isn't
2: it have you seen the french guy that really piles it up with luggage i think it looks like it's got tkc 80s on it or some equivalent of that
1: not sure no, no no Uh, we did that Africa Grand project with John Milbank from Bennetts, and that was like I yearned for that, and I never got a set. I never got mine set up like that, and that was kind of the plan. We built his, and then I was going to do mine, and I just kept mine as a road bike, to be honest, and just put a little stunt cage on the back of it, and that uh, never really changed much <laughs> else.
2: You, presumably, you can wheelie it, can
1: you? Yeah, yeah.
2: You can wheelie everything.
1: everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean once you can with a grom there is pretty much no bike that you it's so underpowered it's got like nine horsepower so once you can perfect the timing of that pretty much any any other bike is doable so it's a 125 is it yes yeah it's a 125 but it's sort of based off the old c90 flat flat stroke engines which is you know i mean it's bulletproof it's good fun
0: (laughs) Right, I've got some quick fire questions for you now. Go on, then. This is either or. So you have to tell me which one: Honda or BMW. Honda. Fuel or food. Fuel. Rally or
1: enduro. Enduro. Adventure or trail. Oh. Adventure. That's yeah.
2: Adventure. Is adventure is just a long
1: trail ride, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a confusing question. There we go. Multi-day trail ride. Yeah. Northumberland or Northampton. <laughs> Uh for the wildlife or for the for the nightlife? <laughs> um Northumberland, Yes, yeah, got to be Kenda
0: or motors. <laughs> Kenda every day. Internal combustion or electric? Internal combustion, yeah. Tarez or birch? Are they trees. Oh <laughs> no, Paul Taras and Chris Birch. Uh, Paul Tarras he's a giant it's just fucking Birch he's going to be furious man he says he says no to slow he can send me an email it's absolutely <laughs> fun.
1: No, I think it's a joy to watch them both rise but just seeing how big Paul Tarras is now he muscles the bike around is impressive <laughs> it is yeah, did you enjoy those yeah. food
2: or fuel I don't is that does that mean how you what,
0: how you consider food well, say you're down to £5, you can either go for a Burger King or you can put £5 of fuel in your bike. What do you do? Oh, see? oh I see. Oh, I thought, yeah.
2: yeah, it's a funny question, that.
0: Yeah. I thought how do you see food as food or fuel? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's pet- I should have said petrol mm. or food, I suppose. Well,
1: yeah, I would still keep the answer the same, to be honest. No, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd fucking go to the car and spend it on mince pies <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, come, you come once you've been for your ride, come back and pick me up from Burger King, will you? Right, many thanks to Adam. That's Mitchinson done. Uh, not sure what we're doing next week. We've got a number of different options in the pipeline, uh, and it just depends on who is going to be available to record something. Otherwise, there might be a gap of a week or so. If you've got any ideas, give us a shout. If you've got anything great you want to come on the podcast and talk about, everybody's welcome. Catch you later. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really appreciate what we do, you could consider supporting us on Patreon or buy us a coffee. Links are available on our website, which is tampodcast.com, tampodcast.com, where we also have a limited selection of branded stuff. But either way, please keep listening and spreading the word. See you next time.